Hi, this is Zoe Routh, and I work with CEOs and their teams on the people stuff in leadership, which, as you know, is the tough stuff and the most wonderful, joyful stuff, that's for sure. My guest today has something interesting to share. She says that 80% of people leave their roles, their jobs, due to poor management. You might have known that already. She knows it, especially because she's in recruitment. So she's always talking to people about why they want to leave a job, why they want a new job, why it's working out and why it's not working out. As the co-founder and director of Capital Recruit and Staff Check, Sarah Rajik has had 20 years in recruitment. <laughs> she knows all about this people stuff. And in today's interview, she's going to share some really important factors in terms of what makes a successful relationship at work work. That's like employer-employee relationship. And also, you'll get the insider seat to what makes a successful business in a highly competitive market like recruitment actually work. So she's a very accomplished leader and she shares some of her key strategies and tactics to what makes her team so, so successful. So stay tuned for all that goody goodness coming up. And if you like this episode, please feel free to share. Sharing is caring and you'll be helping someone else to boost their leadership skills. So boost your karma and share it. All right, let's do it. Sarah, so awesome to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Thanks, Zoe. It's nice to be here. Oh, yeah, you've had a busy few weeks in juggling a pretty dynamic business in the midst of COVID-19, which is, as I understand it, has experienced a surge in business, which is not the good news story we're having everywhere else. So how are you guys doing? Good. We're four weeks into the new norm. Four weeks ago, I think it was when the schools shut down, we made some big decisions. Um, so I managed Capital Recruit. We are all geared up to work from home. So that was a no-brainer. That was really easy for us. Um, but it was, we have a lot of contractors out with our clients. So the contractor care was a really big push for us and it continues to be. Um, a lot of them are working from home themselves. So what did that mean for our business and our risks? And we're also about to go into our business planning um, when COVID kicked off as well. So there was a lot of unknown as we went into the business planning as well. Then the other business staff check, it was, we went out early and said, right, no one travel because they travel all over Australia to do um, security clearance interviews. So we made a decision early to shut that down as soon as South Australia closed the border. And a lot of staff were, wow, thank you for making that decision. That's great. They didn't want to make it, but when we made it for them, that was really good. So um, we also... Over the last four weeks, a lot of decisions have come out or the media was coming out, Prime Minister was coming out on a Sundays. So a lot of Sundays of sitting down and working through what is the plan, what's going to happen on Monday morning and what's our, what's our focus, but what are some decisions we can make now and implement them so we know where everyone's focus will be or um, what needs to change. So we're doing, um, or we had been, it's in hiatus at the moment, um, security clearances very differently to what they were previously. Um, we're still interviewing candidates. We're still placing candidates with our clients. Um, candidates are still starting. So new norm, but a lot of the same things that we've done previously, we're just tweaking it really. Yeah. Well, two things I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. One is the amount of decisions that need to happen and quickly. So, you know, as a business owner and business uh, leader, decision-making is kind of par for the course. You, you got to be good at it. What have you learned about decision-making through this process? Or what did you know about decision-making that you've applied to this process? So I'm a, 
I make my decisions by talking with people. Um, even if I've made a decision in my mind already, I'll still collaborate and talk and maybe tweak it. So you feel a little bit isolated at the moment um, and decision fatigue, but then also my team are saying there's a lot of change. Um, there's a lot of changes going on. So my decision-making process has had to speed up rapidly and I just kept going, well, what's the right thing to do with for our people? Like safety first. How are we going to look after our people? And then the business comes second because our business isn't a business without people. So look after them first and then the business will look after itself in a way or they'll help us look after the business. I probably after the second week, I felt really exhausted. And in hindsight, I probably should have just scheduled some days off, scheduled some time where I just didn't need to read anything, listen to anything, just do nothing. And I'm getting better at that. So another two weeks on, I'm saying it's okay to have an afternoon off. It's okay not, and on weekends, not actually checking emails and wanting to listen to things and just checking back in with the world on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, that's good. That's good realization. Yeah, because uh, managing both change and loss of decision-making is quite taxing physiologically. Um, So there's a lot of adrenaline and cortisol that gets pumped into our systems through that process. And uh, add into that the mix of uncertainty and chaos. Mm. (laughs) And then, yeah, it is. is, It's quite depleting. And also, Zoe, not being afraid to change. So making a decision one Monday and then by Friday having to flip that on its head and say, well, that didn't work. Let's do it differently. And being really open with everyone to say, like question me, challenge me, um, to let me know when things aren't working. This isn't a normal time. We need to be agile. And we've always had a culture of people, you know, giving me a different perspective or um, having that open communication and dialogue on how I've made decisions or why we're doing something instead of just doing it. But reinforcing with the, the capital recruit team that I want to hear their ideas. They're doing a lot more of our client and our contractor and our candidate conversations than I am. And collectively, the information and intelligence that they're gathering is more powerful than what I'm just reading and talking to the clients that I deal with. So, you know, we're having daily whips and that information has definitely changed some of the decisions I've made previously because of the intelligence we're getting across the business. That collaboration at all levels of the business and not just someone sitting at the top saying, this is what we're going to do. It sounds like you popped into this business and this role automatically and perfectly formed as a, as a great business leader, conscientious and caring for her, her um, staff. I'm wondering if that's true. Um, or, you know, I, I suspect that leaders evolve. So my question for you is first a theoretical one and then a personal one. So the theoretical one first is, you know, how do you define leadership? Wow, that's a tough one. Um, I think it's about steering the ship, not necessarily, well, setting the direction, but how it gets there is a collaboration. But leadership is knowing where you're going and how you get there. You don't need to know everything, but you need to have a general idea um, and you need to be able to pull in the people and a good leader knows how to either find the right people or surround themselves with the right people and then utilise those people. But just having a general idea of where you're going or clear idea of where you're going and being able to communicate that. Okay. And in your experience, this is a personal question now. So if that's the case, if that's the definition of leadership, when did you figure out that you could actually do this? When did you figure out you'd actually steer the ship or choose the direction? Um, 
I don't know if there was a particular point. So I'm a recruiter by trade and recruiters, you talk to a lot of people. I was in a privileged position where you have conversations daily with candidates about you know, why are they in their current role? Why are they leaving a role? What do they look for in a manager? What do they look for in a leader? And what their own leadership style is. And then I have those same conversations with clients regularly as well. You know, what are your challenges in your team? What's your leadership style? How do you get the best out of your team? What sort of person's going to be the right fit for you or your business or your team and things? And so all those insights helped me to form some ideas of what I, who I would be as a leader. But also <laughs> watching my parents and um, at an even younger age, probably at the time I was like, oh, I'm not going to do what my parents do. But then as you get older, you realise they're pretty good at what they do. Um, and they're business leaders and business managers in their own right. And you learn a lot of values from them. But where I, I got my first management job was in recruitment. And I was given a team of 11 and I was stepping into the shoes of a, a formidable leader um, and she'd built a really good team. They, she had a lot of new starters and they just lost 30% of their revenue because they lost a big client. And I came in, she was leaving the business and I came in I'm like, oh, so new team, 30% below. Um, and it was really tough. And my manager was in Sydney. She managed a team nationally. So Canberra was a really small priority of hers. Um, and that's no fault of her own. That was just reality of the structure of the business. So I was just doing my best. Um, and then we had a bit of a restructure. And because of that, I reported into a, there was another level of management put in place. So I still reported to someone in Sydney, but she had a much smaller, she had the East Coast of Australia. And she taught me how to manage and, and gave me permission to stuff up and gave me permission to not be friends with everyone. You don't, they don't have to like you. You need to give them clear expectations and hold people accountable. And, and I think it was in that, second six months of me being a manager that I went oh hang on there's some structure to this there's a strategy behind this it's not just winging it and there's theory like let's go back and learn some of those things and um, so I started researching and it was probably that second six months that I went oh I think I can do this. That's cool so when you started I'm curious now so when you started doing the research about their, the theory and strategy behind people stuff uh, what were the impactful books or resources that you found? So it was situational leadership and I still think of it today and I still quote it to other people today. Well, not maybe not quote, but so situational leadership is the idea of you're not, you need to lead in a situation. Um, so someone might be really good uh, at a part of their role, but then you have promoted them and introduced them to another thing. So you need to treat them differently or you need to lead them differently. They might be really highly motivated, but low skill in the new role that you're putting them in, fully competent in their previous position, but in this particular skill. So how do you treat them differently? You need to give them high direction, but you don't need to give them high motivational support because they're fully engaged and they're motivated. But then it will change and they become more They've realised what they don't know. They've identified some of their blind spots. They might need some more support around the direction, but they're starting to build their knowledge, but they now need, they need the confidence to know that they can do this. And so you might change it more into supportive and then it goes into coaching and then, well, then you just let them go. So you delegate a bit more. So I learned that you might have some of your staff are good at the majority of their roles, but there's something that you need to spend more time and you need to change your approach for that. So I still today think about, well, I'm leading them through a situation or I'm leading them in this particular moment, not them as a person. Um, 
So, you know, you have your overarching strategy, but then you can break it down and talk to them about the particular skill or particular situation that they're working with. So I really do still go back to situational leadership. I ended up doing the, the program, the course on it as well as reading the books, but yeah, situational leadership. Okay. That's awesome. And I love how you explained that whole model with, with gestures. Not everybody can see that, of oh, course. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was good. It's like, there's the curve and there's the delegation and that's awesome. Um, so obviously it's firmly embedded in your memory and practice. In your experience, because you talk to people all the time, like you said, you recruiter, you talk to candidates, you talk to employers. So you hear a lot of stories. What is the toughest people stuff problem that you've ever dealt with? And could be with a staff member, could be with a colleague, could be with a client, could be with a candidate. Um, the toughest. Um, that's a really good question, Zoe. My toughest. I call them what the something moments. I think when expectations. Was that where we went to fill in the blank there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think when um, when things go awry has been where someone's what they thought that was expected of them is very different to what the business or the team or I needed them to do and so they've gone off off on a tangent or different expectations of what then could be given back to them and so you know over promising someone in a job and then the person then getting frustrated and not getting what they need so being really clear when you're hiring people you know, you want to entice them, you want them to come into your business because they're great, you know, you've identified and assessed that, but then you put them up on a pedestal and they're not actually able to deliver. Uh, and then the, the frustration, you know, the, the person's frustrated because they're not getting what they need and the business or the manager is, not frust is frustrated because they're not getting what they thought they were going to get out of this person and it just falls into a heap and emotions start running high and, and it ends up falling apart. The person ends up leaving. So when I talk to my clients about, well, why is this role vacant? What happened? It mostly comes down to miscommunication and not, not having clear expectations. That's interesting. So, yeah, if you think about that, every, every person who's ever been in a job that got disappointed and frustrated and left, they often say that it's the manager's fault. Do you subscribe to that or do you believe it's something, other contributing factors? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, managers have a lot. It's a really important role. It can't solely be their fault. And there's absolutely reasonable times, Zoe, where um, it doesn't work. And I think it's reasonable for people to say it's not working for me or it has worked for a set period of time and it was fabulous for a few years or a few months, but now I need to move on. And that's okay. Managers do have a big responsibility, but they need to also identify where it's not working. And sometimes it's okay to, to cut your losses and finish it up there. I'd say it's probably 80% of the reason why people leave. Is it manager's fault? I think it takes two. It, you know, the other person still needs to be involved. Uh, have some, you know, you're in control of your own destiny to a point and you need to clearly articulate to management what you need as well. And if you didn't do that um, and you just decided to leave, then I think that is a, you know, that's a part of the fault if you want to use that word. Whether someone doesn't have the confidence or they don't have the relationship, you know, there's an, you have the ability to manage your managers as well, manage up. And if you can't communicate that or if you haven't learnt that skill yet, you need to take some responsibility and say, well, it didn't work out. My manager wasn't great, but I also didn't know how to communicate with my manager and I didn't push back up the line to say this is too much or too little or whatever it is. Wow. If, if 
80% of the reasons that candidates leave and the, or, or the situation doesn't work out is the relationship with the manager. What do you think is the magic wand that's needed to help fix that? I mean, you were gifted with a great manager who, who showed you and mentored you and taught you about situational leadership. Well, you investigated your own thing about situational leadership. Do you think there's a particular thing that businesses need to put in place to help prevent this chaos from unfolding? I don't think there's a silver bullet, Zoe. <laughs> um, I wish there was. I think communication is really key. Expectation management. No surprises. Um, what do you mean by that? So what I mean by that is expectation management. So not having clear expectations and um, eliminating all the risks of things going wrong or as much as you possibly can, but having clear when things start going away, having conversations. So communication and expectations leads to limited well, managing risks and managing processes or managing situations. So what we do at Capital Recruit, we have a weekly meeting that talks about what are the key factors of our business that drive our success. What is our success? Our success is when we place candidates in roles. So our candidates come to us because they want their new career opportunities and clients come to us because they want to find someone. So ultimately the role of a recruiter and the success of a recruiter and a recruitment business is making placements. So, but there's a hundred things that come into place to make those placements. So we've worked out what are the eight key areas of that? And then we report on it. So we report on that on a weekly basis actually and then we set what everyone sets what their goal is for the quarter and then for the month or for the week so what do they want to achieve how many placements do they want to make and how much what we call gross profit do they want to achieve that quarter but what are the activities that they need to do to achieve that and then we add all that up as a group and then we report on that on a weekly basis and then at the end of the quarter we present back and say well this has worked really well I think I set my targets way too high on how many jobs I was going to need to bring in to be able to fill these positions because it turned out that I ended up not being able to service my clients as best as I could so we report back and we're accountable to each other um, and we learn from each other's quarter and performance as well uh, and then we set targets and do the same thing for the next quarter um, and then that also then drives our catch-up so I have one-on-ones with all my team at Capital Recruit on a weekly basis and we talk about that so how are you going how are you tracking against these things um, so the expectations have been really clear but our people have been empowered to set what they're going to do each quarter um, and they can be really different so they can some people are their desks and their businesses are unique and they need to focus more on candidates because it's a really candidate short market in their space or their specialization so they need to spend much more time on that than another part of our business and also different maturities in on their desk or their business determines that they need to do different things as well. So someone who's been doing their role for five years will need to have a different business development focus than someone who's starting up a business. So we have all those conversations, we have clear expectations and we work out where are the gaps, where we need to help each other and, um, and how we can collaborate to do that. And we report back. So it's really clear expectations on what we need to do. And then it's about providing the support to empower them to, to be able to do that. So what are the skills they need to have? Is there gaps? Are you struggling with that? Well, let's connect you with these people or let's spend some more time on developing that skill a bit or let me support you through that a bit more. So no surprises with my guys is about, well, we all know what we need to do, how we do it and what we do, we have determined and then let's go against that. And whether it is a surprise, it does happen, of course, of course. We sit down and look at why that happened. 
A surprise meaning a, a complete flunk on something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or the opposite. Okay. Complete fluke. <laughs> a good surprise as well. Flunk or fluke. <laughs> yeah. And what we've worked out, um, really proud, we were just talking to the guys about this um, a couple of weeks ago, is that we will set our targets, our financial targets, and we typically hit between 90 and 96% or we go slightly over by about 6% as well. So we, it works. And everyone's target's different because everyone's aspirations are different as well. Some people work part-time. Some people are really driven by that. Others are like, no, I just want to do a really good job um, looking after my clients and my candidates. And, and that's all okay as well. We empower them to, to do that. What do you celebrate and how do you celebrate? <laughs> so we celebrate placements. At the moment, we're celebrating a lot more. We celebrated the fact that we had our first Friday afternoon drinks because <laughs> we've never had them as a business. Oh, really? Um, so, yeah, we and celebrate. you do it while everybody's in isolation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we did it. Yeah, we did it by video. But typically, we on Friday afternoons, lots of people have got family commitments, so they leave the office. So it's the first time we got to do it um, as a whole business. Yeah, so we celebrate making placements and we celebrate collaboration. So where someone is referring other clients and we, gosh, what else do we celebrate, Zoe? Um, well, we, it's not celebration, it's more recognition. Uh, so recognising where we're collaborating and we're sharing ideas and we're working as a, a team or someone's helping each other out and we recognise all those sorts of things. Um, we celebrate our quarterly performance and things like our anniversary. We had our five-year anniversary recently, so we really did something exciting for that. And I've also got one of my team is about to hit his five-year five years with Capital Recruit. So we'll wow. celebrate that as well. That's awesome. Yeah. So going back to the start, right? So you started off your as professional career as a recruiter and then you got put in charge of a team. It's kind of a big shift to go from that to business owner. Like there are different mindsets and different skills. What led you to be interested in doing that leap? It's a, basically an entrepreneurial mindset leap. So how did you go? What prompted it? <laughs> um, so... My career was going really well. I ended up working in Sydney and managing a Sydney office. And I'd had my second baby in Sydney and all my support networks were in Canberra. And my friends in Sydney, they didn't have babies. So I felt, and my husband and I were, you know, working out what the new world was going to look like with the second baby. You know, I had a pretty full on job. He was, you know, what, is he going to go part-time or is he going to stay full-time? What's that going to mean? And I just had this realisation that I want to go home. The company I was working for, one of the executives had invited me, informally invited me to, to start looking at Singapore and in recruitment, the executive positions are in Sydney and Melbourne typically. And then the next roles, if you're in an international company in Australia, would be Australasia and you do something in Singapore typically. And so starting to, to assess that, it actually made me go the other way. And I went, I think I want to go home. I want to have a third baby eventually and I want to go home, but that does mean my career is going to take a big step back. Canberra is a different place for recruiters. So I asked my manager, my, my boss, my, I think I want to go home. And she went, okay, yep, let's do this. We'll make this happen for you. I don't want to, you know, don't want to lose you. And so I did. I went home and started managing the Canberra office and I still looked after New South Wales government from Canberra. 
But I think when that happened, I went, I think I need to do something different. I need to do something more. This industry has been fabulous to me, but it's not giving me the progression and the career challenges that I want at the same time as what I'm looking for in my personal life. So I started thinking about what that might look like. um, And over the years, I'd been approached by a couple of people, three or four people to say, would you start a recruitment business with me? And I remember laughing and going, no, no, I'm going to go and rule the world in Sydney and I'm going to do all these other things. And yeah, those sorts of thoughts came back to me. And and so I started putting that into play. Um, You know, it took me a while, but yeah, so I did that. So when I had my third baby, that was the time I went, yeah, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do this on my own. And Glenn Hewitt and I started Capital Recruit. And so what I'd learned though from recruitment was I'd managed a P&L, I'd managed corporate strategies, I'd listened to conversations with the executives around what they were going with. What I was missing though was cash flow management. Um, I had I had done some study in accounting and I'd had my parents in business and a few clients had talked to me about cash flow as well. But you know, I was really conservative around that sort of thing. So I set up, well, that was what I did my research on. Well, how am I going to manage our cash flow? What's the story there? So five years ago, what's now, almost now six actually, six years ago now, we started this business and um, cash flow was an issue for about 10 days once upon a time, but it's been really well managed now. And it gave me the opportunity to expand my my thinking and expand my networks and expand and challenge myself in business and haven't looked back. It's been really great. That's a great news story. <laughs> yeah. How has your thinking been challenged? Over the years or around yeah. leadership, Zoe? Um, yeah, so around leadership and like, as you said, one of the things that this becoming a business owner did is challenge your thinking. And I'm wondering if it challenged your thinking around business development or challenged your thinking around leadership or challenged your thinking around yourself. Yeah, so one of the things that I was, that has challenged me is how much do I share with people about my business? How much of our success do our team need to know about? Um, How much is appropriate? I'm pretty conservative with our finances and I'm very transparent with our business strategy and things. But, um, you know, I remember thinking back, how how much do I share? So when you're working for big multinationals, it's all public knowledge. They're publicly listed companies and they're trading. And so everything's really, really transparent and you can share that. But it felt really personal when it was my business. This is how much money I, I'm taking home. And I don't know if I want everyone to know that. Um, so that was really challenged. And so what I did was I recognised that I needed to collaborate with different people. And so I got involved with the Canberra Business Chamber. I ended up joining their board. And so I was surrounding myself with other business owners or other people that I could chew the fat with, I guess, and think that through and, and hear different perspectives. And that's been really, really valuable to me. And I also went and did the Australian Company Directors course because I wanted to think think as a director. I wanted to think differently. One th- Another thing I didn't know about much was working for the big multinationals. We didn't do much with charities. And if we did, it was a corporate decision. It wasn't, it wasn't our decision. So I went, well, how does business in Canberra work collaboratively with charities? How do we create a win-win? 
I have no idea. And I've seen businesses doing some really great things with charities, but what do I need to do and how can I do that? So um, I had the opportunity to join the Bendigo Bank Community Board. And the reason I did that was I wanted to see how they do it. They're a community bank and so they give half of their profits to community and charities. So I've learned a lot and the way they think, they've got a really diverse board um, and people have challenged my thinking all the time, not all the time, maybe often, I should say. Um, and they're, they're finding the same back. You know, I'm coming to it with a business perspective and they, they're saying I hadn't thought of those things from, from how the bank needs to deliver and what how we deliver to our shareholders, but then also to those charities and community groups because if we perform better as a business, then we can give more and do more, which is ultimately the goal. So my perspective and the people I needed to collaborate with change as a business owner because I needed to ask different questions and gather more different perspectives and different information and ideas. And I think over five years or six years now, I've done that well and I've formed some really invaluable relationships and the collaboration in business in Canberra is just rife like it's fabulous it is pretty good and especially the the collaboration as you say between business and community Um, so where do you see capital recruit in your business interfacing with community organizations have you managed to incorporate that into what you're doing or is that something on the horizon yeah so um one of the strengths to capital recruit is we're an accounting recruitment business. So we do corporate recruitment, but one of them is accounting. So I've been partnering for years with the um, CPA Australia and it was their idea to start a women's business lunch, but then we get to choose the charity partner each year. So we go, well, what's the theme? How are we going to do that? And we deliver money to that through that lunch. So that's been, you know, really valuable. Then there's through my director roles, but also my director networks, getting an idea of what are the charities that need different things in Canberra and how can we align capital recruit to that. So organisations like Men's Link seems to be a high need always and it, there's so many ways that that infiltrates business but the whole Canberra community and I think it's a fabulous organisation so supporting that. They're, they're my primary charity that I support also. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, big supporter for a number of years of them too. Yeah, great minds think alike, Zoe. <laughs> um, and then, you know, we have been, we've recruited some of those, some executive roles for not-for-profits and so um, supporting them through doing some actual recruitment um, and giving them guidance and support on that as well. So sharing our knowledge and skills and our services, I guess. Is there a particular kind of charity that you're mostly interested in? Like, for example, like some people are environmentally focused, some people are people focused, some people are education focused, some are health oriented. Is there a theme that you that particularly resonates for you individually? Yeah, so I've still got some work to do on that, having a theme. However, it's <laughs> um, probably people orientated, of course, being a capital recruit is a recruitment business, uh, a people business. So people, but mental health, and women, but also recognising that the health and strength of our males in the population also helps the women as well. So hence Men's Link. So I think I think they're the three. So mental health, people and women. <laughs> women as a subsection of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love and, it. And, and what I do with the Canberra Business Chamber, I mean, that's all voluntary and what I do with Bendigo Bank. So I see that as us giving back to those organisations mm. as well and we get to give through all, all those um, great organisations. Mm. And I find that's often the case in Canberra. You have a lot of very successful business people who are on 
many, not just one, but many, many charity boards. And I think it's a wonderful aspect of living in, as you say, living home here in Canberra. It's, I feel blessed to call it my home as well. Uh, so last question for you. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, gosh, there's so many, Zoe. Best piece of advice I've been given would be be yourself and think about who you spend your time with and what you spend your time doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's lovely. And how was that? I promised that was the last question. <laughs> so it's obviously helped guide you in your decision making. You know, be yourself, who you spend time with and what you spend your time on. Um, has that led you to say no to many things? Yeah, of course that has. Um, so, you know, doing something because it brought you joy 12 months ago and recognizing that it's not anymore or you've set something up and it, um, it's not working out anymore. It's not fit for purpose anymore and being okay to walk away and being able to communicate that effectively and explain why. And that's okay. It's okay to change directions. It's okay to do things in a new way or differently or with a different group of people or a person in particular. So I think if it's not working or it's not fit for purpose anymore, it's okay to change directions. And you want to develop a business where you're comfortable doing that and saying no to some clients. Not that I have to do that very often in Canberra, but you want to be able to do that and position yourself to to make those those calls and also empower my people to do the same thing. I love it. So when you have that sense of self that is really strong, you can actually make those decisions and make those calls because they can feel pretty tough, I think, when you're standing up for yourself and what matters to you. The fear of disappointing others is often what stops us from making those kinds of decisions. Mm. Sarah, you're full of fantastic wisdom and insight and wonderful stories and um, a huge credit to the Canberra business community and the Canberra community as a whole. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Zoe. That was a really special interview. Sarah is such an accomplished leader and it was a privilege to have the conversation with her and really get an insight into how she manages her team day to day and also what her big picture thinking is around leadership and business. For me, the key takeaways were about gathering perspectives. And I love how she shared that story of getting onto the Canberra Business Chamber board and being able to shop ideas and to gain ideas and to shift thinking in a community of like-minded people but from different backgrounds. I think that's really, really critical. And it's something that I emphasize a lot in my new book, People Stuff, which is coming out in August. Uh, Subtle plug right there. (laughs) Uh, I guess the other two things I got from the interview from Sarah was about business charity collaboration. And I think this is particularly important as our not-for-profits, our charity organizations are so vulnerable to volatility in the economics that we're facing. So they depend a lot on charity. That's why they're called charities. And they do such fundamental work. And I think we really need to be thinking about how we can help our charity organizations, our social organizations continue to do the good work that they do without having to struggle all the time for money. And the third piece, I think, is a very pragmatic leadership one. And that is how forensic uh, Sarah is in setting quarterly and yearly goals with her team and encouraging her team to set their individual targets to craft their individual plans and therefore really own it and making all that progress visible accountable and discussable and celebratable totally not a word but it works (laughs) 
All right. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Feel free to pop on over to the Facebook page. We've got a link in the show notes if you want to ask a question or share a comment or share an insight or a resource. And also, if you really enjoyed this podcast episode, share it. I'd love you to spread the word. And in that way, you can help somebody else learn from the brilliant Sarah and uh, get some insights just like you did. All right. Thanks very much. In the meantime, live well, lead well.